Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of my pillow, here to tell you about my Giza Dream bed sheets. I made sure that they would be everything you'd ever want in a sheet set. I started with the world's finest cotton called Giza. It's only grown in a region where the Sahara Desert, the Nile River, and the Mediterranean Sea all meet. The long staple cotton makes my Giza Dream sheets ultra soft and durable. They come with extra wide pillowcases to fit over any pillow and extra deep pockets to fit over any mattress. Not only that, they come with my 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. And now you can get the best sheets ever for the best price ever. When you buy one of my Giza Dream bed sheet sets, you'll get another one absolutely free. I personally guarantee that they'll be the most comfortable sheets you'll ever own. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listener Specials for the buy one, get one free offer on Giza Sheets. All you got to do, Renegade Nation, is enter the promo code RENEGADE or call 1-800-889-6817 for these great specials. That's 1-800-889-6817. Use the promo code RENEGADE. Please be aware the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and in some cases even offensive. Listener discretion is therefore advised. Welcome heathens, welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the things that go bump in the night, frighteningly imagined creatures, supernatural beings, and even some unsolved mysteries, but I promise all sorts of weirdness. So sit back, grab your favorite drink, and prepare to be transported to today's dark enigma. And on today's dark enigma, well, it's a new year! Yay! And we have a new listener suggestion. So, with that said, we will still be playing our drinking game. As you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. The choice of libation, as always, my darlings, is yours. So, choose your poison accordingly. All right. Now for the game part. How about every time I say Earth, that will be a single shot. And every time I say Lunar, that will be a double shot. All right, so we know we've got the Earth and the Moon in this one. All right, now that we have the business end out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's Dark Enigma. And you guessed it, don your best spacesuit as we dive deep into today's offering of Is the Moon Real? That's right, we're going to be discussing the hollow moon theory. Now, if you're not familiar with this theory, I'm just going to say go and look it up because it is actually quite interesting and I'm going to have to admit I'm on the fence. You know, I used to think the moon was made of cheese, but now I'm thinking it could just be hollow. All right, let's jump in. Now, have you ever considered the moon may not be exactly what it seems to be? Science tells us the moon was a result of the Earth colliding with another planet, causing a rocky mass to break free from the Earth and be pulled into orbit by the force of gravity. But 
our lovely conspiracy theorists have considered the possibility that the moon may be something more than just a rocky mass orbiting the earth. There's this fascinating theory flooding about that our moon is actually hollow, obviously called the hollow moon theory. This theory tries to prove that the moon may just be a cover or a protective layer around an alien's UFO. So, which is right? Well, that's what we're going to be exploring in today's episode. And I promise you, you may not end up on the side that you think you are. I'm just saying it's interesting. All right, let's jump on in. The the moon itself serves a great purpose to Earth. Since the moon is so big, over one-fourth the size of Earth, and so close, its gravity has a dramatic impact on the way our world works. The force of the moon is so strong it can move our oceans, an act that we know as high and low tides. Although the physical scientific exploration of our solar system is just beginning, theories, myths, and legends about the never-ending night sky that surrounds our planet dates back to the Mayans. From popular theories like the Big Bang to ones that receive a lot of criticism like Flat Earth and everything in between, our universe is nothing but mysterious and humans most definitely do not have it all figured out. A theory that has been getting more attention lately is that the moon that peacefully shines in the night sky may actually be an artificial satellite that was put here by aliens. The first evidence that the moon may not be what we think it is came on November 20th, 1969. Way back in the summer of 69, those of you that are old enough to remember, (laughs) sorry I'm picking on people today. I'm a little bit cranky today. I don't know what's wrong with me. Okay. Anyways, back in the summer of 69, Apollo 11 landed the first humans, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, on the moon in a mission they called One Giant Leap for Mankind. Now, according to the History Channel, the Apollo 12 launch vehicle crashed into the moon, and upon impact, the moon was recorded by a seismograph to have rung like a bell for nearly an hour. This was very unexpected, and it mystified scientists. And this is part of the evidence that concludes that the moon may in fact be hollow. Now, the moon has tens of thousands of craters of various sizes covering the surface. However, all of the craters have the exact same depth, no matter how big they are. This suggests to scientists that there may be some sort of metallic barrier underneath the surface, protecting it from damage. Proof of claims that the moon was actually artificially made include that the orbit of the moon around the Earth is nearly perfectly circular, and that the moon itself does not spin, raising the question of what hides behind in the dark side of the moon. These two characteristics are not found in any other celestial body in our solar system. In fact, if you actually brought these up and nothing else, most scientists would poo-poo your theory because this is not something that happens naturally. The moon is also known to contain a unique combination of metals. It includes traces of metals that are not naturally occurring, 
such as brass. The amount of titanium that is found on the moon is also 10 times what is found on Earth. And most scientists would call this ratio mind-blowing. The mysteries of the moon and the universe are far from being solved, and the possibilities of what lies beyond our Earth's atmosphere may not be discovered in our lifetime. The facts and theories that define the universe are malleable, with every new thought, technological advancement, and scientific discovery. It's just a matter of what's next. The hypothesis that the moon is hollow inside is far from new. I know we said 1969, but in his 1901 novel entitled The First Men on the Moon, H.G. Wells, who lived from, from 1866 to 1946, known to many as the father of science fiction, wrote about an epic journey to the moon. The protagonist of the novel are surprised to learn that the moon is not at all what it seems to be from Earth. In fact, it's hollow and inhabited by a strange alien race. Now, these types of fantasies were very bold for a novel published in 1901. Think about it. 1901. We'd never been to the moon. We'd never even left our atmosphere. Hell, we barely even flew. So yeah, pretty provocative. However, as soon as people visited the moon more than 60 years later, the concept of a hollow moon was further developed. So why did this happen? Well, during lunar landings, astronauts deployed several seismographs on the lunar surface. These tools are designed to record movements and vibrations. Seismographs remained on the lunar surface to collect activity data on the moon. The instruments that were installed during the Apollo 11, 12, 14, 15, and 16 missions transmitted in 1977. According to the website Gaia.com, the astronauts were given a series of ALSEPs, or Apollo Lunar Surface Experiment Packages, to set up seismographs and initiate detonations ranging from shotgun-like charges to mortars with multiple grenades. Eventually, NASA intentionally crash-landed the Apollo 12 module, as well as the SIVB rocket, setting off an explosive force equivalent to nearly 12 tons of TNT. This data spoke about the moon and its internal structure. In particular, they reported the existence of moonquakes. These events were divided into four categories. One, deep moonquakes that happened 700 kilometers below the surface. Two, vibrations, which were caused by meteorite impacts. Three, thermal moonquakes. I'll let you guess what that one was about. And four, small moonquakes, which were 20 to 30 kilometers below the surface. These small moonquakes led to the hypothesis of a hollow moon. It is said that during these events, the moon rang like a bell. This phrase was often used after the Apollo 12 flight. During its implementation, the 2.5-ton takeoff stage was deliberately dropped on the lunar surface. The duration and severity of the seismic disturbance caused by the shock surprised the seismologists. They heard strong signals lasting for more than an hour and a half after the impact and weaker signals that were recorded within an hour after the collision. 
it's not surprising that using such information, some people came to this conclusion. The moon, in their opinion, may not be as solid as official science claims. Taking this information to the next level, two Russian scientists, Mikhail Vasin and Alexander Shcherbakov, published a study called Is the Moon the Creation of Intelligence? which hypothesized that the moon is actually an artificial satellite put into orbit around Earth by some sort of alien intelligence. In this article by Mikhail Vassin and Alexander Sherbakov, published in 1970, by the way, it was suggested that the moon is actually an artificial hollow satellite of the Earth placed in near-Earth orbit by extraterrestrials. Vassin and Sherbakov were the members of the USSR Academy of Sciences. However, the article was published not in a scientific journal, but in the Sputnik publication. You know, it's kind of a Soviet literary digest. So it wasn't in an actual scientific thing, but it got published anyways. Anyways, in their article, the scientists did not mention who or what placed the artificial satellite into the orbit of the Earth. Basically, it described the materials of which the moon consists. They had to withstand both extreme heat and cold and be durable to bear the impacts of meteorites. Besides, they raised numerous questions about the formation of the moon, which was difficult for other scientists to ask. And by doing so, they faced a great deal of criticism. Suniti Kurantilaki of Cornell University suggests that there are at least two ways to determine the distribution of mass within a body. One involves a moment of inertia, parameters. The other involves seismic observations. In the case of the former, Karen Tilaki points out that one such parameter, the normal polar moment of inertia, is 0.393 plus or minus 0.001, which is very close to that for a solid object with a radially constant density. So 0.4 for comparison, Earth's value is 0.33. As for the latter, he notes that the moon is the only planetary body besides Earth on which extensive seismic observations have been made. These observations have constrained the thickness of the moon's crust, mantle, and core, suggesting it could not be hollow. Karen Masters of the University of Portsmouth similarly suggests that based on the behavior of objects interacting with the gravitational field of the moon, we can determine its mass. Given the observable size of the moon, we can then calculate the density, which strongly rejects the notion that the moon could be hollow. Sherbakov and Vasin proposed that massive machines were used to melt rock and form long cavities within the moon, spreading the molten refuse onto the lunar surface. They said that the moon was preserved by a hull-like inner shell in addition to a reconstructed outer shell of metallic rocky junk, and eventually this enormous craft was steered through the cosmos and finally put in orbit around our planet. The two scientists backed their claim with actual scientific data. They stated that some lunar rocks contain processed metals such as brass, the elements of uranium-236 and neptunium-237. Interestingly, none of these can, can be found to occur naturally. According to Zulu and other native African accounts, the moon was built far away to keep an eye on people and as a vehicle to travel the universe. 
It says that the reptilian's giant mothership is the moon, and that's where they escaped during the cataclysm of the Great Flood, which they had caused by manipulating the moon and creating other cosmic events. The legend tells of Wawani and Mpanku, who brought the moon to Earth after stealing it from a great fire dragon. They are said to have emptied out the egg-like satellite of its yolk, subsequently placing it in orbit around the Earth. Prior to this, the planet was said to have been shrouded in a sheath of watery mist, which came raining down to Earth once the moon came into orbit. Interesting story. Interesting. It takes the moon approximately 28 days to revolve around the Earth. It also takes the moon 28 days to complete a full rotation around its own axis. This is called synchronous rotation, which means that from Earth we are only ever confronted with one side of the moon. The other side, the far side, is always turned away from us. Always. Don't that make you wonder why? I mean, doesn't that seem like a great big coincidence, this internally dark side of the moon that nobody ever gets to see? It's like something's hiding there, right? George H. Leonard wrote on the subject of the dark side of the moon in his 1977 book, Somebody Else is on the Moon. An amateur astronomer, Leonard scrutinized thousands of photographs from NASA's lunar program for evidence of engineered structures on the moon's surface. Selections of these are supplied in his book, alongside conversations with scientists, astronomers, and NASA insiders. Admittedly, the photographs are hard to make out. Low-res reproductions of shots from the Apollo moon missions and the Ranger, Orbiter, and Surveyor probes of the 1960s and 70s. Luckily, Leonard has provided ample hand-drawn sketches which give detail and dimension to the otherwise undecipherable photographic evidence. The photographs show countless intelligent interventions, repeating geometrical, geometrical patterns, pipes and screws, enormous rigs and gears, metallic objects, lights, and sprays of vapor emitting from vents in crater walls. All this in support of his theory that an alien race occupies the moon, living underground and in hiding, but leaving traces of their activity on the lunar surface, in plain sight, where we only need to look for them. Lunar craters are inexplicably shallow. Their floors are convex, as though meteorites upon impact disturb only a top layer of fine dust on the lunar surface and are then obstructed by an incredibly strong inner hull. This leads Leonard and many others to conclude that the moon is not a moon at all, but a spacecraft parked in orbit around the Earth, siphoning water from our oceans, dumping waste into our atmosphere, Perhaps a broken spacecraft, in the process of being mended, as evidenced by stitches that appear to patch ruptures in the lunar surface. A final experiment in the Apollo 12 mission saw their spent lunar module crash into the moon. Seismic equipment installed for this purpose registered reverberations that lasted over an hour. The moon literally rang like a bell, like something hollow. The hollow moon hypothesis depicts the moon as a planetoid hollowed out by intelligent life and driven into the Earth's orbit. A similar contemporary theory from David Icke, you know how much I love David Icke, takes the moon for an ancient and long-abandoned spaceship, the body of which could once have housed an entire nomadic civilization, a Noah's Ark of intelligence, if you will. 
Theories as to what became of this civilization build off of other theories contending that the Earth has been periodically visited or might currently be populated by these aliens. I like that one. I think we're all aliens. In 2015, Crow 777 observed a lunar wave. Anomalies usually encountered with projected images traverse the moon. What we see night after night, that self-same moon perpetually and irrationally turned towards us, is a hologram concealing an artificial station and alien civilization behind it. Hmm. In 2013 to 2014, Dark Skywatcher 74 organized a number of moon monitoring sessions on Ustream. His goal was to collect enough participants around the globe to pick up video feed from where the last telescope left off, keeping a constant live eye on the moon. Members of the community, some 1,400 people, were invited to band together and monitor the moon for Lunar Transient Phenomena, or LTP. UFO and meteor impact, lunar waves, lights, shadows, and other anomalies. The project has since mostly fallen apart, but the sessions have been archived, and one can watch them too, albeit from the future, for the odd, seldom black speck moving fast as hell across the lunar surface. It'll freak you out, I promise. And one must watch, because NASA won't do it. This is the Dark Skywatcher 74 DSW slogan. A powerful call to arms that embodies the burden of responsibility felt by members of the fringe to uncover a truth held captive by, well, whomever. Scientific discourse to high, high, higher ups. Aliens, maybe? I don't know. You know me, I always think it's aliens. DSW seconds as an amateur news outlet with energies now directed towards following the Trump rallies of the U.S. election campaigns. The better and still active channel is live space cam lunar and solar broadcast by P. Gurness out of Miami. Compared to the DSW Observatory or NASA's ISS live stream, he is a quieter channel with a smaller following. 2 to 18 viewers tune in at any given time to either watch the moon or the sun or the Star Trek reruns that he plays between feeds. The chat function is seldom used and when it is, the discourse is incredibly wholesome just the intermittent great channel and merry christmas things like that rather than record himself during live streams which other observatories are prone to do p gurness plays audio recordings from various radio programs the content is thematically re relevant alien abductions theories of synchronicity the hybridization of humans and chimpanzees etc etc but he gives no introduction or contextualization to the audio who knows what we're listening to or why but it contributes to the ambiance of the site as a late-night respite tailored to the amateur astronomer, the sci-fi junkie, the chemtrail theorist, and, you know, crazy people like me. And it is beautifully curated. The archived videos are given simple, pointed titles, and nothing is ever capitalized. Bad scene condition, camera dies again, decent views, or don't waste your time, looks terrible. A person of economic diction... Pigurinus uses the timestamp to communicate with us the imperative and bare minimum. You can watch in real time as he erases live 12 to 15 letter by letter and types out his dispatch. Never seen that before. Fixing spelling mistakes along the way, ultimately replacing the dispatch again with live 12:15, or whatever date. The feed runs for roughly 
one to three hours, depending. If you can catch his chance messages, the sense of discovery is not dissimilar to having caught a glimpse of that odd, seldom black speck crossing the surface of the moon at lightning speed. The lack of information about the moon, and especially its far side, represents a profound void in the picture that we have of our universe. A void that, again, does not appear empty, but merely obscured. A body of knowledge lying in wait for disclosure, shrouded in the cover-up. And so attacked from the outside with popular epistemology. Using hacked data and cobbled together equipment, the void is plotted and mythologized by disparate factions. Their search is material. It manifests in hours and hours of footage of the moon. The sameish moon, some nights cloudy, some nights clear. Meticulous analysis of LTPs exposed through synthesis on YouTube. Debates suspended eternally in comment sections and chat rooms. And the silly, somebody else is on the moon. If the stories we come up with to explain the void of the dark side appease the emptiness, it is only for a moment. Ultimately, the stories are empty too. They dream up new terrors and punch out new holes. Just how benevolent are these aliens in the moon? Which perspective provides more comfort? The lone and unique planet Earth with its lone and unique life source, or the many worlds and many lives promising the free transference of spiritual and scientific knowledge, or else intergalactic warfare and mutual annihilation? Does this make the universe comprehensible or chaotic? Meaningful or meaningless? The moon is double. On one side is the true moon, and on the other side is a false moon. If the true moon is the moon as it is popularly understood, Earth's innocuous satellite, then the false moon could be any number of conceptions that threaten the sanctity of the popularly understood moon. It could be Leonard's moon, the hollow moon, or the hologram of the moon. For live space cam, lunar, and solar, everything flips. The popularly understood moon is the false moon, a lied-about, covered-up, and masqueraded moon. But they appear the same, the moon we know and the false moon, which is to say that what we see in the night sky are the distant but familiar features of a singular moon. What we don't see, or rather don't necessarily recognize that we see, is the imprint of both conceptualizations of the moon on the moon. I know, it's getting a little bit heady in here, right? The other thing we do not know that we see is our cells reflected in the moon. The double exists by virtue of the to whom. Its doubleness, which appears singular, implicates us in the image of the moon. But where exactly? I know I'm getting very philosophical, aren't I? (laughs) Happily, Slavoj Zizek triangulates our precise location on the moon in his masterwork, The Parallax View. The parallax occurs when a distant object appears to move against a backdrop as it is viewed from changing perspectives. If you stare straight ahead at your outstretched arm and outstretched finger, moving your head from side to side, your finger moves too. From the right, it blocks from view the chair to your left, and from the left, it blocks the view of your cat on the right, or whatever is right there with you, behind your finger. Zizek appropriates this phenomena for his parallax gap and reads it through lichen. And I quote, The subject's gaze is always already inscribed into the perceived object itself in the guise of its blind spot. 
that which is in the object more than the object itself. The point from which the object returns the gaze. End quote. The fact of the blind spot implicates the subject in the constitution of the object, or to put it another way, the to whom is the dark side of the moon. Like reality, the moon can never appear as a whole, but always incomplete, blighted by blind spots, dark sides, and the ever-ending to whoms. When viewed through a telescope, the moon ripples, like a mirage on the horizon. This is a consequence of atmospheric seeing, where light is distorted as it travels through thermally turbulent atmosphere. This is why stars twinkle, why high heat is hazy, and why the moon sometimes appears liquidy. Atmosphere also influences color, casting the moon in pink, green, and yellow hues. Add to this the clouds which pass over the lunar surface in quick succession and from out of the shadows, and as a consequence of this great contrast in value, the moon emerges each time brighter. It's not simply dark and then light, off and then on. There is an emergent quality to the illumination of the moon, as the clouds slip off and away, return and repeat. Sights on the moon, such as the Tycho and Copernicus craters, are bright against the lunar sea lit in a fashion not dissimilar to a time-lapsed city turning on its lights at night, a pocket of fiber-optic light that fans out towards the suburbs. Artificial, but resplendent. And you will see something there. You have to. The rippling, the noise on the footage, the changing light, they provoke an optical confusion. The craters will invert, the lunar sands will dance, and, if you're lucky, little gray men will tunnel out of the soil. It is not for obvious reasons that the moon is best seen at night. For one thing, the night is painstakingly quiet. Leading by example, the night proceeds with prudent steps, heel to toe, heel to toe, hugging the baseboard where the floor is less likely to creak, operating cabinets and drawers with a sloth-like composure. And we all follow suit, bleary-eyed and stepping softly, charged with the nightly preservation of the sacrosanct silence sacrosanct, sleeping, lying down, prostrate, supine. The night is base. It is the day stripped of light, color, noise, and whatever other activity. It falls quiet, does not distract the mind with extraneous stimuli, clean. The night is supine. It is both a condition of the to whom, the paralyzed body, and also a performance of the to whom, the corporeal mortification to arrive at or genuflection at the feet of a nominous double. And the night is dark, of course, but not too dark. Not with the moon, seen from Miami, fed through luminous screens into our bedrooms and basements. In the earliest hours of the morning, we commune with two to eighteen other sky watchers, looking for something we do not know. Something we will recognize by the long-forgotten and holy other. A seance across oceans, across screens, the lunar and solar channel is a kind of meditation, which we carry out night after night, repeating the search taken up by our primitive ancestors and ancient astronomers, simulating again this circumvention of the void like a terrible, profound, and endless deja vu. And the night is dark, but not so dark as all that. Not with the moon keeping us company as we spin idiotically in our great void. 
until the telescope malfunctions or our computers die or Pajernus turns off the feed and the screen goes dark. We lose the moon. We lose the light. For sure, we toy with the idea of playing the next video from the archive. The rerun doesn't do too much to shatter the illusion of the search or of finding another live stream or whatever. But eh, it's too early in the morning and I think we're more tired than we really know. Better to paw around for the bed, to lay down, to shut our eyes on our backs in the dark, to watch the moon. And with that, my darlings, we have come to the end of our episode. I know I got a little heady in there and a little philosophical. So I thank you for sticking with me and joining me here today. <laughs> I hope you'll take some time to reach out to me and share your thoughts on what you think of today's episode. And if you do, I will tell you that there are a few shows that are coming up that I would love some input. I'm going to be revisiting our talk about the skinwalkers from the Navajo. We're also going to be revisiting the Diet Love Pass and possibly a few of the witch trials. So if you guys have any personal stories and anytime you have bumped into a ghost, you should send me that story right away. You know you can reach me and the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. You have a suggestion for a future show? You just want to tell me what you think? You've got a story you want to share? Drop me a line because you will find I do reply to every single email. So send me your stories. And on that note, my darlings, that is all the time I have for you this evening. I thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio. And you guessed it, don't forget to tune in next time, my darlings. See you, my heathens. I love you. Mwah, 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 mwah. We don't sugarcoat shit. <laughs> this is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.